This is an ABC podcast. At my eight month of pregnancy, I developed lower limb uh, paralysis. The developing fetus inside, it was applying some kind of pressure on my spinal cord. It was like sending some kind of a very excruciating pain that went up my spine to my head and down my lower limbs. After delivery, I couldn't walk for two weeks. My pelvic was very painful. I couldn't lift my leg up just to change. I cannot walk to the toilet and shower. Women who are at risk are those with medical problems like obesity, first-time mothers, teenage girls who become pregnant early, and those living in the rural areas with lack of access to the main hospitals. I like to share information, so I said, let me create this group so that I can post updated information, especially in the rural, because I see that the rural midwives are very isolated. Women are told giving birth is the most natural thing in the world, and their body knows exactly what to do when it's in labor, which makes it so frightening when things go wrong. Cesarean sections, forceps deliveries, and episiotomy are common childbirth procedures. And in countries with developed and accessible health systems, we take for granted how many lives they save. But when the nearest hospital is hours away, and you can only get there by a boat or across an unpaved road, a difficult labor can lead to lifelong injuries or even death. However, there is hope as maternal death rates steadily decrease and social media offers platforms for educating pregnant women and midwives. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about birth trauma in the Pacific. Dorothy Nepmari is a midwife with three children. She lived in a remote part of Papua New Guinea when she was pregnant with her first child, and the father had left her for another woman. Then everything got worse. With my first pregnancy, at my eight month of pregnancy, I developed lower limb paralysis, and I was admitted to the hospital. The developing fetus inside, it was applying some kind of pressure on my spinal cord. It was like sending some kind of a very excruciating pain that went up my spine to my head and down my lower limbs. And I was thinking, is it related to pregnancy or that I wouldn't know? I was asking the doctors and they said, yes, it was because of the baby, the weight. That's the reason why I got this uh, lower limbs paralysis. Yes, I was carried to and fro the toilet and all, I mean, shower, everything was done in bed only, so... I was working in a remote remote health facility in West New Britain. So I was brought into town and I got admitted. So, so I was referred into Kimbe Provincial Hospital. And coming into Kimbe town from that remote health facility was, you know, you had to get on a boat, travel by sea for yeah, one hour. And then on the other side of the mainland, you had to get on the PMV and travel one to two hours again into Kimbe town to be admitted into Kimbe Provincial Hospital. Fortunately, Dorothy made it to the hospital before the problem progressed. She was given medication for two weeks, and luckily that meant she was able to have a normal, healthy labor with her mother there to offer support. She remarried, and her second pregnancy was smooth. But this time, the labor went wrong. She experienced pre-labor rapture of the membranes. In other words, a water broke, but labor didn't begin, which can put both mother and baby at risk. She was put on antibiotics and labor was medically induced. 
when they gave it to me, I went into yeah a very terrible experience where I thought that my uterus was gonna rupture. Yeah, it was very painful, and I was crying, and maybe I was worried too. Maybe that's the reason why <laughs> my labor didn't. Yeah, I I I, I didn't like the second experience of. Uh, labor and delivery and postpartum too. She also hoped her husband would be by her side in the labor ward to support her. But his culture prevented him from being there. Guys are not allowed to stay in the labor ward and witness your wife's delivering the babies. You're, you're going to be weekend or something. Yeah. So he wasn't with me when I was delivering my uh, second child. I delivered all alone. My mom didn't come too. My sisters didn't come. And I, for one, didn't want my tambus to stay with me too. So I delivered all alone with the midwives only in the labor ward. Despite the difficulties, Jordi had two beautiful sons and she wanted to try to add a little girl to her family. But once again, when her daughter was born, she didn't have any family support through another traumatic labor. It was a very bad labor and, yeah, I was not happy. And the nurse used to tell me that I was crying all through the labor <laughs> and delivery. Well, and what did they expect for you to smile or sing? <laughs> 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 yeah. And I usually tell them, maybe because I was worried I had no relatives to stay with me. My people are in Bougainville and I'm in West New Britain. I'm married to West New Britain and these West New Britain people have the cultures too. I thought, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to convince my husband to come and stay with me in the labor ward, but he can't because he cannot bridge his cultural beliefs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to respect that as well. <laughs> but then on the other hand I was also heir too and I was thinking hey, maybe my husband doesn't love me yeah, as an educated woman I want my husband to be present when I'm delivering and as a midwife I know that male involvement in deliveries is a uh, is, uh, the outcome is very good and, yeah, mm. when males are involved yeah, that, that's the reason why I wanted my husband to be involved in my labor and delivery with three young children and a passion for supporting people through childbirth, Dorothy went to school to study a Bachelor of Midwifery. She became pregnant once more, but sadly experienced health problems much earlier this time. I went into shortness of breath. I don't know, maybe I was psychologically affected, but the doctor said I was going into heart failure. Yeah, I was going into heart failure, so they told me that you were not going to continue with this pregnancy. So... My pregnancy was terminated and then I I was told not to ever get pregnant again. Yeah. Until today I am still worried. Like I, I I'm always thinking, why did I lose that child? Or maybe because I was not prepared to be pregnant again. That is how I realize it today. Like maybe I was just affected uh, psychologically. That's the reason why I couldn't accept that fourth pregnancy. I was thinking about those uh, horrible experiences that I went through for my second and third labor and delivery. Mm. That is so sad to hear. You, it sounds like you're blaming yourself for for some of the, you know, the trauma that you've gone through. But that is just out of your control and something that you can't think too much about. Mm. As a midwife now, Dorothy is a strong advocate for encouraging fathers to attend births and support their partners through labor. I mean, Papua New Guinea is a male-dominated society. I mean, yeah, majority, but. I don't know, in some ways we have to do something to make, make men get involved in labor and delivery so that they would understand what it is, how is it like in the, in the labor ward. Yeah. 
And I believe it would change a lot of men in Papua New Guinea and ladies would be happy about it too. They should be involved, actively involved in it, the men in Papua New Guinea. How I see it is like from my experience, most of the things that I was affected is it's not like all those other things that I used to see. We have this four piece in the delivery process that affects delivery. For me, I see that the psychology is the main thing that, that did affect me in those three deliveries. Great advice there. And uh, we are told as women that our bodies know what to do when it comes to pregnancy and labor, but that's not always the case if you've experienced. Um, as a midwife, how do you help women who have complicated pregnancies and births? As a midwife, like most of the times when you see mothers in labor, there is a kind of a tone that mothers give when they are in the labor ward. They would be crying and this kind of sound that they give, you can really see that they're not crying from from that pain that they are experiencing. They are crying from something that, I mean, it's somewhere in their mind that that I need to dig into and really find out what's wrong with them. So I have to counsel them. I have to counsel them. I have to talk to them. I have to reassure them. And then the next minute you will see that this mother will deliver in no time. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's like a magic or something. Yeah. And when we don't prepare them, like antenatally, we don't prepare them, talk to them, counsel them and prepare them for the labor and delivery. Then they come and face the complications in the labor world. Psychology has played a very important role in this uh, labor delivery and postpartum. Dorothy Murray is midwife and mother of three children from West New Britain. When second stage labor is prolonged, the mother is exhausted or the baby's heart rate is dropping. A forceps or vacuum-assisted delivery might be necessary. And while it is a life-saving intervention, it also means recovery from birth for both mother and baby can be harder. That was the experience for Betsy Amao, who is also a mother of three and a midwife from Papua New Guinea. She was almost 43 weeks pregnant when she delivered her first baby. And the second stage of labor, when the baby moves from the uterus into the vagina, was dangerously prolonged. It took two hours. So they had to pull baby out by vacuum. They couldn't make it on time, so they did an epicotomy. I had a shoulder dystopia. Baby was shoulder stuck in my sympathies for two hours and it is very painful. When he was pulled out, we they discovered that my baby had a short cord. I, they couldn't lift the baby up onto my abdomen after delivery. They pulled baby out, the cord snapped, and they had to do a manual removal because placenta was retained again. And because of that snap cord, they had to help me quickly because I was bleeding. After delivery, I couldn't walk for two weeks. My pelvic was very painful. I couldn't lift my legs up just the same. I cannot walk to the toilet and shower. Now, I still feel pain on my pelvic area when I trip over or I try to open my legs or run. It's pain, still painful. What about your baby? What impact did that have, have on your baby? Yeah, no. Now I can still feel the suture lines are not yet um, closed up together. 
and just at the end, next to where the vacuum cup was placed, and he was pulled out. But he's okay. He was also on treatment antibiotics for a week because he had the vacuum area was so swollen. What impact has this birthing injury had on your life? Now I'm scared. I can, I don't want to have another baby. And I am a midwife myself, and I help to facilitate training. When it comes to solar dystocia um, sessions, I don't. At first, I never attended them. I was traumatized. When I see videos and the sessions that we presented, it triggered my bad experience. So I usually stay out of the session. Now, Betsy uses her personal experience to help other mothers who are showing signs of shoulder dystocia. I make sure that I am attending to them with all respect and the best care I can give because I've gone through this type of delivery and I know the pain. So I don't want to traumatize them the way I went through. I have to help them quickly and make sure that when they go home, they are not paralyzed, partially paralyzed like what I I have experienced. So I make sure that I give them the best midwifery care. Betsy Amor, a midwife and mother from Papua New Guinea who experienced a traumatic first labor. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Figures from the World Bank show that maternal death rate in Papua New Guinea is 145 in every 100,000 women. That's compared with six in every 100,000 women in Australia. That's almost 25 times higher in PNG than in Australia. For babies, birth trauma can include brain or nerve damage, injuries to the skull, fractured bones, and intra-abdominal injuries. For the laboring mother, birth trauma can lead to postnatal depression, as well as physical impacts such as tears, prolapse, and less commonly, fistulas. Dr. Francisca Coponia is a specialist medical officer from the University of Papua New Guinea. Birth trauma rates are higher in underdeveloped countries like Papua New Guinea, which she says is due to a number of factors. Most of the women here live in the rural areas and uh, almost 50% of them deliver in the uh, village. And, you know, with a village setting, there's uh, not enough manpower there. There's unskilled health workers. Access to the main hospital is quite a difficulty as well in terms of road access and then geographical terrains. Also, our women, most of our women are not educated, so they do not understand the the importance of seeking help or coming to the clinic early, those kind of things. So that would be one reason why we see a lot of bad trauma in the developing countries and the low-income countries. What types of circumstances can increase the risk of birth trauma? So we see a lot of bed trauma in the first-timers, the primates, and uh, those who are short in stature and having big babies on board, they can develop what's called a CPD, so cephalopelvic disproportion, and then end up with uh, prolonged labor. Sometimes we see obese women, big women with prolonged labor, and then some of these big women have diabetes, so their babies tend to grow grow bigger than the normal like microsomic babies and then 
with big babies, you expect some difficulty during delivery. Adolescent girls who become pregnant early. And also, um, you would expect to see some of this problem in those living in the rural areas with uh, lack of access to the main hospitals. Here in the highlands, especially in the Southern Highlands and Hela, we have, you know, fighting going on. So those living in those fighting zones are also at risk of developing uh, complications because then they don't seek help. They deliver in the village with limited resources and unskilled workers attending to them. So that would predispose them or uh, put them at risk of developing bad trauma both to the mother and the baby. Dr. Kopunia says access to modern medical treatment is vital, not only for saving lives when labor doesn't go to plan, but also for helping to prevent birth trauma. So when you think about it, uh, access to things like family planning, so when you don't get pregnant, you you don't develop uh, bad trauma. Uh, Access to education, schools, women who are educated are more they, they are empowered, they delay pregnancy, and they tend to get pregnant later on when they physically, when they grow big, when they are fully developed. Having access to good antenatal clinic, antenatal care, so it prepares them to have a good and safe delivery. Having good access also is important because they are. Um, they can access the hospitals where there's a skilled birth attendants uh, for supervised birth deliveries. So all this may help in a big way to improve birth traumas. Many women in the rural communities don't often have access to even the most basic uh, health care, especially when they're pregnant and uh, they probably use traditional methods. How does Western medicine impact birthing culture, process, and protocols in the Pacific Islands? So Western medicine is much more safer, like uh, in terms of providing safer, safer uh, intervention uh, instead of using herbal medicine. Some in the rural areas may tend to resort to unsafe methods like uh, chemicals or, or aseptic procedures, and that that also in, increase the risk of bad trauma and increase morbidity to the mother and the baby. What can women do after the birth to recover their mind and body as well? After birth, is, it's quite a traumatic time because then they're in pain and at the same time with the change in the hormones, they're more at risk of developing depression, anxiety, and then um, breastfeeding, restlessness. Those are the things that may also contribute to more trauma. So I would suggest that they they get more rest, maybe more support from the partner as well, as well as the health workers in terms of uh, helping them with antibiotics, pain relief if they need to. We don't have a proper postnatal sort of counseling um, group or anything 
So I think manpower is one one thing too that one thing too that that um, prevents us as health workers to really counsel them, get to sit down with them and help uh, get into the issues there real issues, what is really affecting them in terms of psychological uh, trauma and uh, other issues like pain, bleeding, those kind of things. What what needs to happen to improve birthing outcomes for women in the future, uh, looking at the bigger picture? First thing is avoid pregnancy, and that is uh, good family planning coverage family planning coverage to the rural areas as well as the schools, because nowadays you're seeing a lot of teenagers coming in with unwanted, unplanned pregnancy. And then they are the ones that are short, they are small in size, and they tend to have complications like uh, obstructed labor. Other things like improving the skills of the health workers, upskilling the health workers, especially in the rural areas. So they can um, be able to identify risks and refer them early if if they need to. And in order for them to be referred early, we they need a proper, a good road access as well. So again, it comes to government funding, good road access, transport, ambulance, those kind of things. Is there any political will to help make births in the Pacific safer for women? Are there public health campaigns or funding to improve access uh, or upskill health workers like you mentioned and access to rural communities where maybe 80% or 70 or 90% of the total population reside? Is there a political will or uh, is there changes where you see that the government is reaching out to where this population is? I believe there is. There is a uh funding available for rural uh, outreach and services in the rural areas. In Southern Highlands, uh, where I'm currently working, we haven't really gone out yet, but we're planning to. There's funds available already, and we are going to start going out into the rural areas and start providing all this awareness, education on adolescent health, as well as upskilling the health workers in the rural areas. But yes, I believe there is funding and support from the government. That's Dr. Francisca Coponi from the School of Medicine and Health Sciences at the University of Papua New Guinea. While there are cases when a doctor or even a surgeon might intervene to save a woman or baby's life during labor, in most cases midwives have the skills to help prevent birth trauma. And throughout the world, midwives perform 90% of maternal health services. Cherilyn Polomon is a midwife educator and course coordinator of the Pacific Adventist University. Childbirth is a normal process, and that is where the midwife is supposed to be there to provide counseling and to provide instruction and guidance to the women throughout the process of birth. Now, most women that do come into the hospital, some of them are very new to the setting. Some of them are very new to the process. But I believe the new mother that have come into the labor ward, if they receive proper instruction 
proper advice and proper guidance from the midwife, they will go through the process of birth without any um, complications, although complications will still arise, but they will be assured that the midwife will be um, there for them. In Papua New Guinea, where most people live in rural areas, Sherilyn has created a WhatsApp group for midwives and other healthcare providers to share knowledge and advances the field. I, I saw the chance to have it on WhatsApp because WhatsApp is always, the phone is always on our hand. And every time we use WhatsApp on timely conversation, so I, I created a group and I brought all the, the midwives, got all their numbers, and then I add them onto the WhatsApp group so that they can communicate and we can communicate on a timely manner between um, those, especially in the rural, because I see that the rural midwives are very isolated when it comes to complications and as well as um, updated knowledge. We, we miss them out. They miss out from those updated knowledge. And not only them, the current midwives in the hospital settings also, um, we have the tendency to just come to work and go back home and close the book. The only time the books were open was the time that we were in school. And that's the time we tend to read and update ourselves. So I thought having educators on this WhatsApp group, and me personally, I like to share information. So I said, let me create this group so that I can post updated information that I found interesting. I know it will help them to update themselves so that we are at least updated in our practice, knowing that midwifery and nursing is based on evidence. That's excellent. What are the interactions like uh, in the group? What are, what are women sh- sharing or midwives sharing? There's a lot of midwives who have participated in the in the forum. Now we have almost 500 plus participants. They share and I moderate the, the discussions um, on a weekly basis where I post certain topics and then um, also the resources for them to read and um, update themselves and they can share that with those, the nurses and the um, community health workers in their group uh, so far. And we also have webinars. How is this technology helping share information when it comes to dealing with complications? We've had um, a weather midwife, there's a junior midwife, in one part of the, the the rural PNG, she had an issue where she just had to get on the phone um, and did this WhatsApp thing. Send a message on WhatsApp that I, I have a complicated case. And then as soon as you send a message, all the midwives around the country who were on WhatsApp that time responded directly to her. And at the same time, her superior or the um, provincial um program coordinator came on board and then assisted or negotiated for a timely referral for the um, the client to bring the patient from where she is to the hospital. And the midwives in the hospital were also prepared, as well as the doctors, to receive the, the patient. What an amazing opportunity for midwives in Papua New Guinea to support each other. That's Sherilyn Polomon, a midwife educator and course coordinator at the Pacific Adventist University. She is currently studying a PhD in Sydney. Thanks to all my guests today, Sherilyn, Dorothy Nepmari, Betsy Amao, and Dr. Francisca Coponia. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia.
a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of this show, catch up on our podcast. You can listen on the ABC Pacific website or on your favorite podcast app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Pacific Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, women used to be banned from preaching from the pulpit. But today, more and more women are leading congregations as reverends, ministers, and pastors. We have to ensure that we become good leaders in the church by doing the best we can to help as many as we possibly can. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Rachel Lucas, supervising producer is Kim Lester, and executive producer is Inga Stunsna. Sisters Let's Talk is produced on Wurunjeri, Gungai Kurnai, Durambul Jagara and Turbul Country and is an ABC Radio Australia production. And that's all. I'll you next time.